The story of Yaakov in the house of Lavan is the story of Jacob in exile. And I don't mean just physical exile outside the confines of the land and the boundaries of the land. But being in exile has many different pieces to it. Part of it is a sense of dependency, a lack of taking responsibility. And that is what uh, comes through very clearly in chapter 30 of, of our story. It's really one of those stories that is so disturbing. So Yaakov, in the beginning of chapter 30, finds himself married to two women, two sisters. This Rachel, the one that he intended to marry, the younger of the two. And he ends up first marrying Leah. Lavan substitutes Leah for Rachel. How Yaakov didn't see it is a good question. But the Torah says he makes a party at night and he gives Yaakov to drink. And their two sisters are probably very similar. And we have an expression to be blind with love. In short, he wakes up in the morning and behold, it is Leah. Yaakov complains bitterly, why did you trick me? What can I do, says Lavan? Town ordinance. We don't do this in our place. We don't substitute the younger for the older in our place. Whether Lavan is hinting at what Jacob did with Esau when the younger took the blessing destined for the older, or whether Lavan in this respect is innocent of that, doesn't fully know that detail, we don't know, but the Torah knows it. And the Torah speaks to us and asks us to read the two stories together and to potentially read one as an outcome, as a consequence of the other, is a very good question. Kasuto emphasized the sense of punishment in the story, but in any event, that's the situation. Yaakov is married to two women, one of whom he loved, desired, the other one not. But God sees in the words of the Torah at the end of chapter 29 that Leah was snua, literally hated, unbeloved, would be a softer reading of it. God opened her womb and Rachel was barren. The default situation of the matriarchs of Genesis is that they do, do not have children right away. The only time one of the matriarchs has children right away, the Torah ascribes it to divine intervention that God saw at the end of chapter 29, uh, God opened her womb, and she very quickly has four children. The names of the children, all of them born in exile, 11 sons and one daughter, whose births are recorded, the father names not one of them. The mothers give the names, and often the names are in terms of relationship to the other wife. In the case of Leah's naming of the first four children, they reflect how she sees herself vis-a-vis Jacob. She talks initially about God seeing my suffering. She talks about God hearing that I am hated. That's the second son. With Levi, she says, child number three, now my husband will be will accompany me, and with the fourth one, I will thank God. So one has a sense, by the birth of the fourth, she feels herself an equal with Rachel. After all, she's the mother of four children, and, Jacob, and Rachel has no children. And chapter 30 begins by telling us, Rachel saw she had no children, her sister has four, 
and she became jealous. And Rachel said to Jacob, Give me children. And if not, I will die. Now the word Hava in the book of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus is without exception a negative. It always contextually is negative, whether it's the story of Migdal Bavel, whether it's the story of Judah and Tamar in chapter 38, whether it's the story over here, Rachel saying, Hava Libanim, whether it's the story of the previous chapter where Jacob said, Hava et my time is up, I paid for Hava. Hava is a negative word. So too in the beginning of Exodus, Pharaoh said to his people, Hava nitchak let's outsmart these Jews. Always negative. So the response, which Rachel's response, jealousy is also negative. And Hava et Hava libanim, we don't know what Rachel has in mind. I mean, Hava libanim. But what it sounds like, the Ramban suggests that it means pray for me. I mean, Hava libanim. Pray for me, says the Ramban. That's a uh, sweet interpretation. But even there, so what's Jacob's answer? Jacob's answer is, what am I, God, who has withheld from you children? So the way the Ramban understands this is that pray for yourself. I, I have children. So I, I, the problem is not with me, so don't ask me to pray for you. You can pray for yourself. But I would say along the lines of the Ramban, and maybe even intimated by the Ramban, there's something else about the hover. Because what Rachel seems to be saying or thinking is, you have the ability, if you wish to do so, you have the ability to cause me to have children. One might say the ability to manipulate God, to control God. And after all, by the way, we do see later in this story, chapter 31, how Jacob manipulates the animals, the speckled and the spotted animals. And we know that earlier, Jacob has stolen a blessing. So Rachel, in this context, is saying, listen, steal me one too. Steal me a blessing also. You can do it. And Jacob's answer is, I I can't. I don't control God the way you think I control God. What Rashi notices, what bothers Rashi and the Medrash, Hatachat Elohim Anochi Hashem Anami Mech, Jacob says, listen, this is not my problem. This is your problem. And that's a bit of a different reading. Rashi's reading is that Jacob's response to Rachel is inappropriate. You don't speak this way to a suffering person. And what it speaks to in the story is a failure for Jacob to take responsibility for Rachel. He doesn't see himself and Rachel as being having the same problem. It's your problem, but it's not my problem. Later on in the story, when Rachel steals the trafim, in chapter 31, she steals trafim, and as they were leaving home, and Lavan overtakes them in chapter 31, he says, listen, you're running away, you should have stayed, I would have made a big party for you. Okay, fine, Lavan is a phony, we know that. And then he says, if you're running home to your father's house, why did you steal my gods? And Jacob says, listen, I ran away because I figured if I don't run away, you'll never let me go. You'll steal your daughters from me by force. But in, regarding these trafim, 
whoever took them should die. So Jacob said, whoever, whatever whom they have found, that person should die. What, and Rachel, in fact, took them. And as the commentaries note, Rachel, in fact, does die. And the Torah, perhaps we'll see later, ascribes the death of Rachel to the stealing of the Trophim. But Jacob did not say something else. Jacob could have said, Whoever took it is guilty, and so am I. As the head of the family, I take responsibility for what goes on in my family. That's not what he said. The one who took it should die. Not my fault. And this is the pattern of not taking responsibility that is central to living in exile or living in the house of Lavan. It's always the other guy's fault. Lavan, why did you lie to me? Why did you... You promised me Rachel. Now you have the other. In our town, we don't do this. Don't blame me. That's the rule of the town. Of course, he gathers all the townspeople together. So it's a way to deflect responsibility. What it means to be in exile. Not to see yourself as responsible for all those around you. Family, community, etc. That's why Jacob has to leave, among other reasons. The house of Lavan for Jacob will not take him any place. Yes, he built his physical house there. That's very true. But God summons Jacob back. You can't stay in the house of Lavan. This is not where your destiny is. This is not your place. And Jacob has to leave.